This episode was uploaded Monday, March 20th, 2023, and you're listening to episode 24 of the 5x5 Room RPG Podcast. For many tabletop settings, players have a truly incredible amount of options at their fingertips. But what exactly is it that makes your character uniquely yours? Is it their class, the skills, or could it be the 516s that you rolled during character creation? Today, with part one of our character creation series, Jeremy and I discuss why it's not only all of the above, but none of the above. The running time for this episode is 24 minutes. Welcome to the 5x5 Room. I'm Jeremy. And I'm Hollis. And today we are talking about creating a character. This is something that you will do a lot of if you play tabletop role-playing games, unless you're Hollis, I guess. Well, I guess you make non-player characters. Is that the same thing? It is a little different. Um, A lot less thought, but still the same love, I guess. <laughs> well, we're we're going to mostly talk about things from the player perspective, but regardless... Let's uh, let's jump into it. So the first thing I wanted to talk about was we use these words a lot, but this is a good opportunity to maybe do a bit of defining. When when you're making a character, we're going to talk about crunch and flavor. These are maybe some strange words, but what I really mean is the mechanical parts of your character and the narrative parts of your character. And so I also wanted to maybe even ask some questions and see what your response would be, Hollis. Do you think one of these is more important than the other when making a character? I want to be interesting and rock the boat here, but I actually don't think so. I think that very much depends on the player. Okay. I personally would argue that they are both extremely important. Obviously, the, the player that's making the character, you might decide that you just don't care about one. Do you think that you could just completely ignore one? Absolutely not. I know that when I design a character that I'm going to play, I tend to prefer a character that kind of excels at both, that has unique flavor and is interesting to, to learn about and to explore, but also has the good fiddly math bits that I also enjoy. And I know people that sometimes don't care about one or the other. We've had plenty of different players. I know some that think about where their character comes from and how they're going to act and how they're going to talk. And when we're like, hey, what class are they going to be? They're just like, uh... I don't know. What what should they be? To me, like mechanics are such an like important part of my character. I, I really want the mechanics to inform the narrative. It's interesting because a lot of times I think that players look at the mechanics of the game versus the kind of theme or concept they have for their character and end up in situations where they might sort of be a contradiction. Like maybe that by making your character extremely flavorful that you hurt the sort of like mechanical benefits you'll receive by not trying to incorporate as many unique flavorful elements and vice versa by making the character very dynamic and capable in like combat as an example. They might assume that, oh, well, now I lose some interesting concept because I'm so focused on trying to have a character that makes the math make sense when realistically you can do both. You absolutely can. And you should. Absolutely. I think you should. Let's let's get a little more into, we're going to focus, at least starting out here, on Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition, since it is something that we tend to focus on a lot. I wanted to talk firstly about D&D presupposing a lot of things about the person who is playing the game. This, this might seem obvious, and this also might seem irrelevant, but 
D&D presupposes that you know what an elf is. It also presupposes that you know what a ranger is. These are some of the things that you say, well, obviously, I know what an elf is. They got pointy ears. They live a long time. They live in trees, I guess, maybe. And rangers, I don't know, I guess they hunt things and they track and they, they shoot with a bow and sometimes they stab. But sometimes you have people that are playing these games that don't know that. They don't actually have that prior knowledge and sometimes they go elf you mean like like a like a little keyboard elf fella is that what i'm playing <laughs> uh or or a ranger like a, i'm a am i a park ranger could you tell me more about what i'm doing here am i legolas or is that something different entirely really that's where all this comes from it's important to remember that dungeons and dragons was an opportunity for a bunch of nerds in a basement almost 50 years ago now to role play out their fantasies of lord of the rings and as a result when we say elf, we are pretty much thinking of Legolas, because that's the elf that was being thought of when the game was first made. But that's not the only elf that exists. I mean, no elves exist, so it can really be anything that we want it to be. But really, what I'm trying to get at here is vocabulary. Sometimes when you're making a character, it's really important to figure out what this vocabulary is, because sometimes I can say elf and I'm visualizing the keyboard elf, and sometimes I can say elf and I'm visualizing Legolas. These are two very different elves. One of the other examples that I can think of, we had a player that uh, was in a game once, and he was asking, uh, what class should I play? And we had directed him towards the fighter in fourth edition, which is a defender role. And we said, we described it as a tank. And he was like, perfect, I want to be a tank. And then we started playing Partway through the game, he was like, I'm not having very much fun. And we're like, why not? We told you you'd be the tank. And he's like, yeah, I thought that meant that I would be destroying people because tanks have big guns. And we were like, oh, sorry. We just assumed that you had the same vocabulary as us that where we come from in, in the video gaming world, tank means someone who takes hits for other people. Right. Or like taunts, right? Keeps all the enemy attention on them. Right. We had that mix up. And the player was having a bad time because they misunderstood what we were saying. That's why it's really good when you're facilitating character creation, which is what we're all coming back to here. You want to make sure that there is that shared vocabulary, that you understand when someone says, I want to play an elf, what exactly do they really want? And make sure that everyone at the table understands. I'm going to keep on harping on the elf thing. When you're making a character, I think one of the first things you should ask, once again, we're sticking with D&D 5th edition for the moment. When you're picking your race, or I think their species now, or maybe ancestry, or whatever word we decide to come up with, but when you're picking this, what does it say about your character? And there's maybe sort of two ways that you can kind of lean into this. Are you an elf because you wanted to play someone who's like deeply in tune with nature? Or maybe, on the other end of the spectrum, you wanted to play an orc because you wanted to be a pacifist and prove that looks are deceiving? You can kind of go either way, but when you're picking your race or species or whatever we call it, you're making a decision about how your character is viewed in the world. In the background of these tabletop games, of course, different species are going to have different things or characteristics about them that are sort of stereotyped. And for better or worse, it's entirely meant to be something that is baked into the game. And because of this, you can use your species selection as a means to sort of craft or begin to craft the narrative of the kind of person your character is going to be. 
They don't have to feed into all the stereotypes, and they also don't have to be the antithesis of all the stereotypes. When you decide on the race or species that you are playing, you are making a statement about your character. And sometimes that statement is, I wanted a plus two to wisdom. But luckily, we're moving into a slightly different direction in gaming that you don't have to pick the race that has the bonus that you want. Sometimes the race that you pick is literally because that's the sort of character that you want to be playing. I'd even throw out there that mechanically, if you find that the species choice is something that you feel hinders you, there happens to be a handy dandy option, at least in Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition, where on D&D Beyond, you can choose to just make your primary attribute bonuses just be whatever you want. I know that for my games, this is something that I am a huge champion of and and that I feel like it gives my players the largest amount of flexibility. So maybe, you know, if this is something you'd like to see in your game as well and it's not currently implemented, talk to your table, talk to your DM and see if this is something that that you and your table can do. Yeah, those options are out there. And obviously the game is moving in that direction anyway. In the future installments, we can just assume that you're going to be able to pick your ability score bonuses. So really the race that you're picking mechanically It's only going to affect things like, can you breathe fire or can you breathe underwater? Maybe those things will go into your decision-making process when making a character, but I think it's better to sort of think of, okay, well, what is it like to be a dragon born in this world? Like, what does it mean? Am I quite literally born of a dragon? Do I have draconic ancestry? Or am I just a people that worship dragons? How do I interact with other people in the world? And how can this make for an interesting narrative? Aside from race or species, I think the next big decision that most people make is classes. So what does your class or even your subclass say about your character? Does Monk define you as like a stoic fist fighter? Or are these just means to an end? This is definitely one of the ones that I want to spend a bit of time on because I just think that there are some people that say I'm playing a rogue. And so that's who my character is. My character is rogue. Then there's other people that say, okay, well, I'm I'm a detective. Rogue is just the way that my character is represented mechanically. I can interact with the world in a way where I can do sneak attack damage, but my character isn't like a thief or a scoundrel or anything like that. I'm actually a professional. And I, these are other things that you can do to kind of distinguish your character. Like you're, you are more than just your class. A way that I like to look at it is that my class choice often sort of points me in the direction of maybe like a hobbyism or something that is a very big part of their life or their upbringing. Or in the case of something like an Oathbreaker Paladin, it's going to be the reason in which I'm fighting to either get back to where I was or run from it. As a player, you'll always be able to dance around these options to varying degrees. Nothing is necessarily written in stone and things can have a ton of nuance that allows you to make your character truly yours. But I feel like these also help as a good starting point for that. As an example of one of the characters that I once made, I had a character that was a priest and I chose not to make him a cleric because he wasn't a divine champion of some kind that could brandish a holy symbol and turn undead away from him. He was he was a literal priest. So he was a monk actually because I wanted him to be wearing robes and I wanted him to have to fight with his hands and he could maybe do some kind of medicine, but he wasn't using magical healing. And so even though my character was a like devout character, I chose specifically the class that I chose because of how it represented itself mechanically. 
mechanically, when you look at classes, they also give a really good idea of what their character is going to be capable of or what part about them helps make them a little cool. For example, a rogue's a special bonus is called a stink attack. Well, if you know that that means you benefit heavily from having an ally that's adjacent to the enemy, if that's one way that advantage is created, yes, this probably implies or to some degree makes sense that you have a character that depends more often on others. Or maybe you're playing a lone wolf that for the first time is deciding to put their own life in the trust of other people. Again, varying degrees, but these mechanics can be used as a way to craft a character that is truly unique for you. What I'm really getting at is that cleric isn't a character. Rogue isn't a character. These are just means to an end. These are ways in which you as a player can interact upon the world in a mechanical way. And so it gives you an opportunity to sort of dictate the actual details of how that functions. You did mention a bit on religion, and that brings me to my next point anyway, which was what does your skill proficiencies say about your character and the background that you choose, or even languages? These are all things that you get to decide during character creation that you can just pick something like, oh, well, elf language comes up a lot. I'll speak elvish. But then you can say, okay, well, you're a human that can speak elvish. Why can you speak elvish? Did, did you pick it up living with elves or working with elves? On the flavor side, once again, a treasure trove of options that make your character unique. Quite often, players don't take a skill like animal handling. But who knows? Perhaps in a wilderness campaign, it's critical. Or even just a segment in your campaign where you and your team, your party, have to traverse a fairly forestry terrain. It could come in handy in a plethora of ways. Something I do find is that players tend to go the route of picking skills that are often going to be the most practical. These are skills such as perception, insight, things like that. Stealth. Yeah, exactly. And I never fault a player for doing that because perception checks, insight checks, stealth checks are going to be checks that are very, very common. However, I do think that you are selling your character short or your creation short if you are not considering investing in these other unique skills. In particular, this is also a challenge to DMs, and I encourage you to take this advice. When your players have their character sheets available to you, take a moment, read them, and internalize what their trained skills are as well as other things they happen to be good at. If one player seems to excel well in a skill that's rarely ever chosen, let's say perhaps sleight of hand. It might be the case that this is something that you really want to be able to point out to the player that they can use. And every time an opportunity in the game is presented where that player can use their unique skill that they've taken, this rare animal handling skill, it will feel amazing for that player to be able to contribute in a very positive way because of skills they've taken. I know that I've rambled a bit on the DM side now, so I'll leave it alone for now. But hey, animal handling is a great one. I wanted to say, here's some great fodder for you when you're making your character, how you can use that to inform the narrative aspects of your character. Because what does it really mean to be proficient in animal handling? Did your character like nurse a wolf back to health at one point in their past that maybe could show up again as like a recurring NPC that helps out maybe? Or maybe they just always have had animals be friendly to them and it's something they can't quite explain Or maybe even they grew up on a farm and had always raised a set of barn animals. And as a result, they learned to connect with them that way. These are decisions that you can make when you pick these skills. And maybe even if you pick them for the wrong reasons, you can still try to come up with a way of, okay, well, but why? 
why would my character be good at this thing? And and even what does it mean to be proficient? Even if your character is proficient in athletics, what, what does that exactly mean to be proficient at athletics or history or persuasion? These are all things that can help inform the character that you're creating. Oh, and for goodness sake, if you pick a language like supernal or abyssal, those are some weird languages. Deep speech. Why not take this opportunity to let it tell something about your character that you can, oh yeah, by the way, I took a semester in deep speech back in community college. <laughs> okay, we've we've been dealing with this for a little bit, and I've been saving this for the back burner, but I think it's finally time that we we go to the elephant in the room, so let's do it. I'm scared. Point by, arrays, and rolling stats. Oh no. We gotta talk about it. Okay, well, would you like to start? <laughs> okay, um, I, I think this is going to come down to the, the latter of, of those three, which is rolling stats. So let's, let's just start with the question. Why in the world do we roll stats? Uh, because rolling dice is fun and players love rolling dice, so why not just roll dice for everything all eights all 16s i'm with it i'm in uh you know it's got to be the best way to genuinely that's that's the right answer we just like rolling dice that is true we're a bunch of dice monkeys when it comes down to it but it definitely has its share of problems so we're let's talk a little bit about it we're gonna make characters and we're gonna roll some dice and it's gonna decide the stats of this character that I think you just mentioned, Hollis, you have a game that might might go on the better part of a year. Just imagine, oh, I rolled really poorly. Well, I guess I'll suffer the consequences of that for the next 12 months. I hate to say this, but that's actually kind of the king point of why I often dislike this method. It is absolutely fun for the players to roll dice, but when you roll them at character creation, you are setting up your table for some very odd negative play experiences, potentially. When one player has two solid 16s and of course their favorable stats, or maybe even the 16s that are happen to be locked if that's the way you're doing it, they're going to be at least marginally happy because they know that their stats are above, I guess really the, the level, the line of the expectation. But for that player that rolls poorly, unfortunately for them to be able to contribute into all pillars of the game in a way that's at least on par with the other players at the table, mechanically, it becomes a bit tough. I often find that in cases where players have really terrible stat distribution as a result of this method, I end up having them reroll anyways, just so I know that they can contribute more at the table versus not by having such wildly different statistics. This is the tough part because I think the entire purpose behind rolling stats means that there needs to be a risk that they can be bad. And if not, then there's really no point in rolling them. But realistically, that's generally what we tend to do. Even in games where we have allowed people to roll stats, we tend to let them roll and, oh, it wasn't good enough, so roll again. And, oh, you know what? Roll five dice and drop the two lower. And, uh, you know, at some point we've, like, played around with this so much that we're just pretty much saying, uh, you know what? Do point by, but give yourself extra points. That's correct. Could not agree more, Jeremy. Ultimately, whenever stats seem to get rolled, the end result is that the stats end up basically turning into something like a standard array. Yeah, there, there's one of the other options. 
we have a standard array, which is effectively just a list of pretty much an average roll of dice and what you would probably have gotten anyway. And we're just going to shove it in where we want the stats so that we can play the character without having to spend a bunch of time saying, wait, never mind, let me re-roll. On the whole, I have no issues with the standard array. It might seem very uninspired because all the numbers, at least the base numbers, are going to be the same for every character that's being built. The fact remains is it keeps everybody having stats that are ultimately powerful for the character that they're creating. And obviously you can accomplish this with the other methods, but this one sort of takes the brain power as well as any kind of risk out of that equation. Yeah, I do think that even point by still presupposes that you kind of have an understanding of how the game is played that you know oh i should probably have high strength because i'm swinging strength based weapons and i should probably not care as much about my charisma or wisdom because i'm probably not going to use them as often obviously there's tons of variants for rolling stats when you decide okay well we can do re-rolls and we can maybe take the best of two or whatever but you're starting a game What's your go-to? You're running it. So you get to decide what all the players are going to do. My go-to choice is going to be the point-by system. And the reason for that is going to be that my players get to read up a bit on the class and species descriptions. They can determine from the information provided often in the book what the primary stats are, or they could just ask me. And from there, that allows them to have sort of additional agency to craft the stats as they see fit. But what's your choice? I gotta say, in the average campaign, I'm, I'm gonna also lean point by. But I, I want to give a shout out to rolling stats because I think there's good times for it. If you're doing a con game, if you're doing a short adventure, if you've just got a fun idea that you kind of want to like throw out there and see what happens, I really think that rolling your stats can be an exciting way to see what happens. And I'm, I'm always in the boat where I kind of want to roll them in order and just see where they fall, and guess what? That's what I'm going to play. I, I ended up with 20 wisdom. Looks like I'm a cleric. There is a sort of fun element added to that, right? Rolling the stats first, and then after rolling the stats, determining the class and species combination, you can get some really interesting party dynamics and character creation that way. I do feel, as much as I enjoy that kind of thing, though, that's the sort of thing that I would only really present to experienced players. I know that you and I would love to do that. How much would you love to do it, Hollis? Uh, you know what? I think I think I could be convinced to uh, you know, I could dig in right now. In fact, I'd love I'd love that right now. Do you? You wouldn't happen to have anything prepped for this, would you? Well, I think it's time we shake it up, do something a little fun. So, uh, since we're talking about creating characters, we've given D and D in Fifth Edition, I think, plenty of spotlight for this episode, and it's time to see what it's like to make characters in some other games and maybe compare and contrast how these work. So, for our next segment, I'm going to have Hollis make some characters and some games that he's never played or probably even looked at the books for before. Oh man, this is terrifying because I am the worst possible player. That's okay. I'm assuming, Jeremy, you're going to make it very simple for me to understand what I'm doing and to get these stats and these characters created appropriately. 